The church at Thyatira, what a church. When you come to the scripture, matter of fact, we'll be in Revelation chapter 2, but before, before we go there, you can turn to Revelation chapter 2. If you heard Brother Elijah read this morning, he read out of Acts chapter 16, and he read about Lydia at Thyatira, the seller of fine purple. Thyatira, as much as we know about the city of Thyatira, we know basically from Acts chapter 16 and some of the history of the early church uh, itself. But when you come over to Acts chapter 19 and verse 20, we find an interesting phrase, Paul being all in that region coming back from Ephesus, attempting to make his way to Jerusalem. And then from Jerusalem, Paul had one desire, and that was eventually to go to Rome. One of the things that you're going to find in Acts chapter 19 and verse 20 is this, that things continued to grow and abound. The work continued to grow and the work continued to abound. And so all in that region and all in that area as the gospel of Jesus Christ has spread and continued to spread, God was at work in the hearts and lives of those who were here. Revelation chapter 2 verse 18 is where we find the letter to the church at Thyatira. The church of Thyatira is an interesting, as I said, it's an interesting letter because it happens to be the longest letter to the smallest city in the seven letters that we have. Thyatira is not that large of a city. Matter of fact, the letter is the longest letter. It's from verse 18 all the way through verse 29. And there's a lot contained in this letter. And so this morning as we consider this letter, I want to read verse 18 and verse 19, and then we'll come back and we'll make our way through the letter. So the scripture says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze, says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance. And I want you to notice all of those. He says, I know your deeds. And here's what your deeds are composed of. Your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, all of those things. And that your deeds of late are greater than at the first. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for this day and Father, we thank you that we're able to gather in this place to worship you. And Father, as we do, Father, as we just go through this letter that was written to the church at Thyatira, Father, may we draw from it the truth that you would have us to see. Father, to take and to apply to our own lives as we live in a world today and in a culture today that just seems upside down and out of control. But Father, I pray that we would be able to find our strength and our confidence in the words that are written here this morning 
May you do a work in our hearts and lives that only you can do. May the Holy Spirit have free reign in this place this morning. We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. See, the church at Thyatira is interesting because the issue was not so much external persecution. The city of Thyatira, unlike the others that we have looked at, when you come to Thyatira, the external persecution or the external pressure uh, from any sort of persecution was not as great as it was in the other letters. So what is the significance of the church at Thyatira compared to all of the others? Well, the difficulty with Thyatira was even much more devastating than the other letters because the church at Thyatira was experiencing what we would call internal compromise. Within inside of its own four walls was where the difficulty was occurring. Matter of fact, they have come to the point that compromise was a part of who they were, an internal compromise that was there. And let me say this this morning, no amount of loving and sacrificial works can compensate for tolerance of evil or for tolerance of compromise for that matter. And you can be as loving as you want, you can be as serving as you want. Matter of fact, you can be persevering as you want, but sometimes, if we're not careful, it can be misdirected. In other words, it can be directed in the wrong direction. In the church at Thyatira, here's what Jesus said, I know your works. And he said, the interesting thing about your works, he said, I know your love, I know your faith, I know your service, I know your perseverance. And matter of fact, he goes on to say, and that your works of late are more than they were at the beginning. And so when we consider the magnitude of this letter, it's interesting when you look at verse 18 and you see the description of Jesus here in verse 18. Of all the letters, we find this specifically about Jesus here, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. That's significant when you consider that because Jesus is all-knowing and he's all-seeing. He sees the heart. Jesus knows exactly where things are. Thus, when you come to verse 19, you see that phrase, I know your works. Not only does he know them knowledge-wise, he's also seen them. I think sometimes we get this mindset that, you know, we understand God knows us. God knows everything about us. God knows exactly what's going on. But have you ever considered this as well, that he also sees? And he does. God sees. The next description we have of Jesus Christ here in verse 18, and his feet are like burnished bronze. You know, the magnitude of that statement alone speaks of the power and the strength that Jesus Christ has. So not only is he all seeing, not only is he all knowing, but his absolute power and strength. So this one writing to the letter, or writing this letter to the church at Thyatira, is not just somebody writing a letter. It's coming from Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. The one who sees, the one who knows, the one who's all-powerful. And the first thing we begin to think about is all of those words that we often associate with, with God and with Jesus Christ, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, 
his omniscience, all of those things that describe Jesus Christ and who he are, we see here in verse 18. But something else is interesting. The church had come to the place that it was permitting a false prophetess to influence the people and lead them into compromise. Matter of fact, when you look at verse 20, down through verse 23, notice as the text shares with us, but I have this against you. I know your, listen, I know your love. I know your faith. I know your service. I know your perseverance. I know everything there is to know about you. Matter of fact, not only do I know it, I can see you. He said, but I have something against you. And so what it is that he has against them, he unfolds that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. Now, not the Jezebel of the Old Testament in physical position here, okay, being a physical person here, but a Jezebel-like individual. And so he begins to unfold this, who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. That's an interesting statement. She does not want to repent of her immorality. Verse 22, Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. See, I think sometimes... You know, as I was reading through this letter, I think sometimes what we find contained within verse 20 down through verse 23, sometimes it's so easy for us to forget. See, we go through life, you know, we think we've got everything pretty much under control. We think we pretty much have things to the point in our Christian life. And matter of fact, some of us even get to the point, here's where we come to. Well, you know, I served my time. I did my time. It's my time now. Well, my dear friend, if you're a child of God, it's his time all the time. It's his time all the time. It's not for us to determine, for, for us to decide when it's my time and when it's his time. And so Jesus here, writing to the church, he said, listen, here's what, here's what you need to understand when you get down to verse 23. All the churches will know that it's me who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. You see, Jezebel's bed of sin would become a bed of sickness. When you look at verse 22, Jezebel's bed of sin would become a bed of sickness, drawing them away from their relationship with God to commit spiritual adultery here. Can that happen 
in the life of a believer it can when our affection for the things of God becomes misdirected because of the world that we live in today and the culture begins to turn us away from the things that we ought to be doing for God and in service to God and put us in a different place. I'll say this. Does it happen? It does. Matter of fact, it happened in Thyatira. Here's the issue. It was not persecution from the outside. It was internal. It was internal compromise. So is there anything that we can hold from this, that we can see from this? Yeah, number one, here's something for you I want you to consider. God will judge the false prophetess and her followers once and for all. God is going to. There's a day coming when God will judge all the false teachers, all the false teachings, and all of those who follow that once and for all. God will deal with it. So, so what about us? Well, what about the church today? Where, where, what about us today? What, what is the significance of this letter? What does this letter have to do with us today as a church? Well, I think there's a lot. And what I want to do is just share some of those things with you this morning. Number one, false teaching and sin are not to be allowed. That should be something that we're on guard of all the time. Even under, listen, even under the banner of love, toleration, and unity. You see, the issue in the church of of Thyatira was this. Social acceptance. In the day, matter of fact, if you... If you look at Acts 16, you'll see what was taking place in Acts 16 with Lydia, a seller of fine purple there in Thyatira, and all that was taking place. As a matter of fact, the culture there got upset when the message of Jesus Christ came to Lydia. And matter of fact, it was going to affect their business that they had in the area because of the truth of the gospel. And my dear friend, for us today and for the church today, do we see culture making its way into the church? We do. So what, is it, what does it look like? Well, let's talk about the church at Thyatira for just a moment. The church preferred social acceptance to spiritual integrity. Matter of fact, all of those things that were taking place in Thyatira, their preference was to social acceptance Versus spiritual integrity. I'm going to tell you, sometimes today, I honestly believe we get to the place we're more concerned about being socially accepted than we are having spiritual integrity. Well, you know, if we take too hard, if we take too much of a stand in this direction, or we take too big of a stand against some of the cultural things that are taking place today, we may not have anybody. My dear friend, listen, please, please listen to me. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, what should matter to us more than anything else is that the truth of the word of God is delivered in love and in grace. But my dear friend, listen to me. There is no moving or wavering off of the truth of the word of God. It's what it is. If we believe that this is the truth then one of the things that we ought to do is stand on the truth. 
understanding and realizing that it is God who honors that. Not culture, not the world. Secondly, for the church at Thyatira, the church wanted to tolerate sin in the, na- or in the name of cultural accommodation. They would rather be culturally accommodating than they would be to be spiritually where they should be. Let me say this this morning. You know, a church may appear to have an effective ministry and even grow numerically. But this alone, this alone does not determine the health of a congregation. And I'll say something to you this morning. That cuts against the cultural grain as well. Matter of fact, I'm afraid today we're getting to the place that we're more concerned about marketing Jesus than we are about sharing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is truth. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is not someone to be marketed. The church is not something to be marketed. The church today is not something that we just um, try to frame in a box. You know, we went through this uh, several years ago. And here's what we went through. Trying to come up with the greatest, um, I know some of y'all are looking at me like, what in the world is going on? I'm about to get choked by this uh, wire up here. Anyway, okay. What we've done is we've come to the place where we need the latest possible thing to draw people in. A.W. Tozier made this statement. Here's what A.W. Tozier said. Whatever it is you win them with, you'll have to continue to keep them. We have two different narratives today. I want to share these with you this morning. Two different narratives. Number one is a biblical narrative. The other is a cultural narrative. Here's point number one. Here's the biblical narrative. It's where we find ourselves today culturally. With what's being, what's occurring on the inside of the church. Not so much persecution from the outside, but what we're even having debates internally with inside of churches over some issues. Here's the biblical narrative. Moral truth is grounded in the character of God. It is objective and universal. That is the biblical narrative. That's a biblical worldview. When it comes to morality and truth, moral truth is grounded in the character of God. It is objective and it's universal. In other words, it goes across the board. There are no exceptions. No one's exempt from any of it. Well... But here comes the other side of that coin. It's where we find ourselves today. It's the cultural narrative. You have a biblical narrative based on a biblical worldview from the Word of God. But here's what the cultural narrative says. Moral truth comes from the individual. It is subjective and situational. Please listen to me. We're finding that making its way inside of the church today. Well, okay, I understand that for you, this moral issue is not an issue for you 
And so therefore, since it's not an issue with you, and it's an issue, we have no grounds, no basis at all to be able to, 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 to say anything about any of it. That's not the word of God. The word of God is very clear. The, the word of God is very plain. Because see, the key here with culture, the cultural narrative is this. It's subjective and situational. How many of y'all have ever heard of something called situation ethics? That depends on what the situation is as to whether or not it's right or wrong. So are there clear, are there clear moral truths in the word of God? There are. And there are no gray areas for them. But what do we do with them? Well, point number three. You see, the biblical understanding of morality means that certain things are morally right and wrong. And we know that based on the Word of God. There are just certain things that are morally right and wrong. And the difficulty here is it's not based on a situation. It's not based upon what we think it is or it isn't. It's based on the Word of God. And why would we even in the church today be debating issues like this? And you say, really? Are churches debating it? They sure are. How wide are we going to open the door? And let me tell you something. The letter to the church at Thyatira is is dealing with Internal compromise. I will tell you what's taking place today in the churches. That door is beginning to open. And it's beginning to open under this arena. It's the tolerance of immorality. It's the tolerance of sin. And so these issues, as they're, as they're coming to the forefront, I'm going to tell you something, folks. At some point in time, the church is going to have to take a stand one way or the other. Most of the time, it's not a popular stand. You see, the real battle today concerns moral judgments. Here's the biblical understanding of morality. means that certain things are morally right and wrong. That's a biblical worldview. And then point number four is contemporary culture understanding means that no one has the right to judge another person's moral truth or behavior. In other words, and here's the way we look at it. Well, what's good for you, good for me as well. Live however you want to live. That's a tough spot. That's a tough spot. So what does the church do? Well, here's the interesting thing about the church at Thyatira. Matter of fact, if you look back at verse 21, and in this letter to the church at Thyatira, notice what Jesus wrote. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. I'm going to tell you something. That's the place we're getting to today. Let me tell you why. When you don't see it as immorality, what is it that I need to repent of? 
So what do I need to repent of? And I'm going to tell you something. Today, for, for repentance is a, it's, a diff, it's becoming a difficult word in the church. Repent of what? As a matter of fact, who are you to say that I need to repent of anything? I hate to tell you this. It's not me that's saying anybody needs to repent of anything. Let me tell you what it is. The Word of God is what speaks, not me. It's not my opinion. This isn't popular. I never said it would be popular. Is it tough? Yes. But here's something that has to happen. Either the church is going to stand on a biblical worldview or we're going to open it up and just accommodate the, the contemporary culture that we find ourselves in today for the sake of getting more noses on the pews or in the seats in the churches. Contemporary cultural understanding means that no one has the right to judge another person's moral truth or behavior. Therefore, tolerance today. How many of y'all think you know what the word tolerance means or what the word tolerant means? How many of y'all in here think you do? Go ahead, raise your hand. How many of y'all think you do? You think you got a good idea of what it is. Did you know the definition has actually changed today with the culture? Are you ready? Here is the definition of tolerance today. Are you ready? It means to recognize and respect that every individual's values, truth claims, beliefs, and practices are equally valid. Here's what you don't understand. That is the contemporary culture's definition of tolerance. It's making its way into the churches. However, there's always a however. Let me share the truth with you. Both truth and tolerance, please listen to me, both truth and tolerance reside in the character of God and they are inseparable. Both truth and tolerance reside in the character of God, and they are inseparable. Verse 24, Revelation chapter 2, down through verse 28. But I say to you, because let me, please watch this, pay attention to this. There was some in the church who wasn't walking down that path. They were more interested in the truth than they were to follow this prophetess, Jezebel. And notice what Jesus, as he's writing the letter to the church at Thyatira, notice what he says. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan as they call them, notice what Jesus said, I place no burden on you. I place no burden on you. I'm not walking that way. 
I'm not going down that path. I'm not embracing this new contemporary cultural tolerance. I am not walking down a path of compromise. The word of God is the word of God from beginning to end, from Genesis to the book of the Revelation. It is the word of God. It contains the moral truth that we stand on and embrace, and there should be no apology about it. You see, sometimes we get this thing kind of confused. For me, if somebody told me that they, act, that they loved me and they knew the truth and yet they would not share the truth with me, that's not, that's not a very good kind of love. Huh? Wouldn't you agree? I mean, my gracious, if I knew the truth of what was coming and I truly loved somebody, wouldn't you want to share that with them? God help us in the church today that we're so, we're, we're so concerned that we might infringe upon somebody's life because we care for them deeply that we would sit down with them and out of love and grace and mercy share the truth with them. Now here's the thing. I didn't say force the truth on them, share the truth with them. The choice ultimately lies within their hands. Not within hours. Verse 25, nevertheless, what you have, notice what Jesus says, hold fast until I come. In other words, continue there. Do not allow compromise to become a part of who you are. Verse 26, and he who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. I want you to notice two things there. Not everyone in this, the assembly was unfaithful to the Lord, and he had a special word for them. Matter of fact, he's going to grant them two things. Number one is in verse 26. To him... The one who overcomes, I will give authority over the nations. He'll rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. Do you understand that as a believer, when the day comes we go home to be with him, that day comes in our lives that we're an heir, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And so what we're, listen, what we have to look forward to as a result of the relationship that we have through Jesus Christ. And then he says, then in verse, uh, verse 28, there's a second thing there. He's going to, he said, I will give him the morning star. The morning star making reference there to Jesus Christ himself. He is the morning star. We see that in the book of the Revelation further back in the chapters. So what about those who refuse? What about those who choose to go the other direction? Those who hear and fail to do will receive divine judgment. Those who hear the message and do will receive divine blessing. Verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to who? To the churches. 
please, church, please, please listen to me. What the world needs more than anything else today is a, is a gathering of believers in a local church that will stand on the truth of the Word of God. And not be ashamed of sharing the gospel. Not being concerned with what the world thinks about us. Because at the end of the day, who we better be concerned about is not the world, but it's what God thinks about us. Just to kind of pull it all together, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this, I know your deeds. So my question today is, what kind of deeds do you have? Because he already knows. And not only does he already know, but he also sees as well. You see, it's not time to quit. It's not time to quit. It's time to lean in and press on. I think of Brother Sammy today. I tell you what, it's just been, it's been a tough couple of days. And I was holding Sammy's hand. He's laying there in the bed in intensive care. And Sammy took my hand and he squeezed my hand and here's what he said. He said, I know him. He said, I know him. And I'm going to meet him. To be able to come to the end of life, no matter whether it's sudden or whether it's a process, to be able to say at the end of the day, I know him. And are you ready for this? Let me just put one other little phrase to the end. I know him and the power of his resurrection. Because he's already made the way possible. For me. So I told, I, I had to lean into Sammy so I could hear, and I leaned into him, and here's what I told him I said, Brother, I'll see you later. Church, please listen to me. We have a work to do to invest in the lives of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my question to you is, are you ready to go?